Weightless, weightless. No matter what people say, you're full of greatness. Greatness. Time you opened up your eyes, you were courageous. If only they could see you going through your paces. It's amazing. Weightless. No matter what people say, you're full of greatness. Time you open up your eyes, you walk courageous. If only they could see you going through your paces. It's amazing. Man of what people say, you're full of greatness. Time you opened up your eyes, you were courageous. If only they could see you going through your paces, it's amazing. Well, we are so excited today because today is our first pre-recorded show. Usually we are here live, doing it live, but you know, it is the day of technology and we are what? We are futurists and we are techno-primo here in Weightless in Mind, Body, and Spirit. And if you were around for the last show of the year with the fabulous Frank Cologne, you know what we mean when we talk about techno-primo. We're going to continue that concept today with today's guest. But before I bring her on, I want to remind us all about what this show is about. So the title is Weightless in Mind, Body, and Spirit. And you know, yours truly, your host is doubly board certified in family and obesity medicine, also three-time best-selling author. I'm so proud of my book, Baby, and my journal. Same title, Meditation in a Time of Madness, the book for teens, tweens, their parents, and guardians who need to thrive, and of course, the journal. So it has been so important to me to connect with all of you as we transverse these unprecedented times. And this show came out of my experience in the pandemic. I wanted to bring a show to you, my beloved audience and community, that would combine the things that we're interested in as far as medicine, health, mental health, but I also wanted to be able to address the spirit. So what does it mean to be weightless in terms of our health, mental and physical? Also, what does it mean to be weightless in terms of our spirit? And we go back and forth freely floating between the two. So without further ado, I'm actually going to bring my guest on camera because you know how I like to do. I like our guests to hear their accolades in real time and you can kind of get their energetic imprint and vibe on who they are as maybe they blush a little bit when they hear how magnificent they are. And then we're going to be talking about a subject today that is so near and dear to my heart, and that is movement. 
And I'll remind everybody about my story. I think there'll be an opportunity to do that because many of you do know that I was a professional dancer and choreographer solely before I went to medical school and became a medical doctor. And I still, to this day, continue my efforts as a creative as an artist. As a matter of fact, I am sure to be going back full circle where I'll probably end my professional life as I began it on stage in front of an audience, sharing that transformation, that healing, that creativity, that enlivenment, that entrainment, that engagement. So my beloveds, Let us meet my friend and soon to be your friend, the beautiful, the brilliant, Dr. S. Ama Ray. So here we go. So Dr. S. Ama Ray, TEDx speaker, has been performing, teaching, and choreographing across three continents for almost 30 years. She's just 10. She's just 10, you all. Performing and touring with the London Contemporary Dance Theater and Rambert Dance Company across the UK, USA, and Europe. As founder and artistic director of Jazz Exchange Music and Dance Company, she was artist in residence at the Royal Opera House and South Bank Centre, UK. Improvisation, often seen as the dominion of jazz music, is also synonymous with creativity. And in 2021, she has launched a new program to bring this insight into the lives of everyday people through a body-mind practice called JIM, J-I-M, Joy in Motion. This work emerges out of a mythology she created known as Embodyology. It originates from a study of improvisation identified within West African performance practices through which six principles were identified and iterative, I can't pronounce this word, iteratively (laughs) tested in Western performance context to attain their performance efficacy. Committed to recognizing those origins, her organization gives royalties back to the rural community with whom she studies, Ui dance and music. These principles are now being translated and applied to illustrate different areas of human communication across fields such as medical humanities, music, leadership, child development, and somatic coaching. Recent publications include chapters in British Dance, Black Roots, and the Oxford Handbook of Improvisation. This virtual iteration developed during the COVID-19 pandemic led to her provide series to the Susan Samueli Integrative Health Institute at the University of California, Irvine, a former National Endowment for Science, Technology, and the Arts Fellow a UK version of the MacArthur Awards. She began her exploration into performance and technology through a concept known as text territory produced by Future Physical. These digital terrains continue to be explored through 
AI for Africa as initiative she co-founded with choreographers, data scientists, artists, scholars, and entrepreneurs in 2020. Alongside artistic practice, she continues her intellectual pursuits, receiving the African Diaspora Emerging Scholar Award from the Comparative International Education Society in 2018. As a public intellectual, she has been an invited speaker for the United Nations Dance USA, Princeton University, Temple University, University of Wisconsin-Madison, Atlantic Center of the Arts, Florida and New Waves Institute, Trinidad and Tobago. Additionally, in 2017, she co-founded the Africana Institute for Creativity, Recognition and Elevation with, I'm not even going to pronounce this, I'll ask Dr. Ahmad to pronounce (laughs) this very beautiful name, and Tiffany Willoughby-Herrard. Currently, they are showcasing a series called Pivot. AI, well, AI, CRE, and philosophy. So welcome, welcome. And you can hear all the techno primo. I'm going to go back and ask <laughs> you to clean up where I was stumbling over some of those presentations. <laughs> and welcome, welcome. This is my sister. Oh, I just feel just spiritual sister, daughter, friend, fellow traveler, dancer, and choreographer, doctor, healer of the human spirit. So Dr. Amal, welcome to Weightless in Mind, Body, and Spirit. Thank you so much for this invitation, Dr. Carol. It's just really my pleasure to be here. And yes, when hearing my bio back, I think, Oh, maybe I need to clean that up a bit too. So, <laughs> but it really does span different spaces and different kinds of terrain. And um, the person who I started ACA with, the Africana Institute for Creativity, Recognition and Elevation, is our most distinguished professor, Ngugi Wathiongo, the Kenyan writer and uh, essayist who has made profound impact on humanity and he happens to be a professor at University of California Irvine where I am now a professor also so thank you that seems to be where everybody is as I learned recently having been a speaker at the neural arts symposium that took place at the University of California at Irvine early in December and, but yes. before we get to the Neural Arts Symposium and what that gathering was about, would you mind sharing with our audience, how is it that you and I came to meet? Well, it was in the midst of the pandemic. One of my dearest, dearest friends and mentors reached out to me to ask if I'd like to participate in a meditation circle that she was part of and is part of in Philadelphia. And that's Dr. Brenda dixon Goshiel. And she knew that I also engaged in meditation quite definitively as a practice. And so she offered this opportunity to, to come into this space. And there you were. And so many other beautiful people of color who were mostly in Philadelphia, but not only. And we were all in, in our own version of the pandemic crises. And this was a space of grounding um, that Sarah Lomax and Pamela Friedman had been developing over many years, I think more so locally, but because of the pandemic. 
they created this this virtual version and each each of the sessions began with with uh, some yoga practices and then there was either a featured guest that took us into the sit into the meditation or Pamela would give that and oftentimes there would be some music some other kind of sensory input and then we would all share a little bit afterwards and I remember you talking about your your mother um, that really moved me and and so many other people also shared things that were really powerfully important to them at that time and and just over time because I think we would meet every month and so it became a new community for me and there you were just amazing to to meet you and know you and just brought such wonderful energy to that space as well <laughs> yeah I do recall we started you know our own little private chat was with you know, <laughs> our our introduction and connection so it's been really interesting that in these virtual spaces virtual synchronous spaces, how relationships have been able to form and how people have made these life-changing connections, even though we have never actually physically met each other. And for, mm-hmm. for us, the physical meeting happened, you know, I guess literally just a, a month ago. Yes. <laughs> Yes, and there was a slight preload to that when I came to New Jersey. So that was two months ago, two months ago, yes. And then the second physical meeting was a month ago. Yes, literally, yes, that's right. And, Um, you know, there's still nothing like that additional dimension of being real time, real space, and you really, you know, feel the person so completely and, and fully. But I do know that that initial techno primo connection through the virtual space was what got us going. And, you know, so you, like myself, have pretty much lived your life as a dancer. How, how did you step into that space? of being a mover, being a dancer. How old were you? When did it begin for you? I was eight years old when I started to train formally, going to a dance studio. But for as long as I can remember, dancing at home was a really important activity uh, that I participated in with my mom, mostly. And at holiday times, we'd roll back the the, the carpet and we would dance and she would share with me some of her dances from back in Jamaica. My mother is from Jamaica, from the country, um, in the Blue Mountain area, Portland. And we used to have an old um, sort of gramophone player that we would listen to music on at home. All kinds of music, actually. Um, And it was in that space where I really got my my love of dance it was really in the social space with my mother learning those steps and then doing my own slight version of it uh and then i used to love the musicals so musicals was was the other site for me where i would dream about being able to do what i saw on screen and eventually i started to imitate that eventually going out into the street with my umbrella uh sort of pretending that I was doing singing in the rain. And I think it was at that point, my mother said, "Uh oh, 
I better take this child <laughs> to somewhere where she can actually learn to do this. But I literally went outside in the rain and started to mimic singing. In the rain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a delightful story. Mine is is similar. My memories actually go back to being three years old. My mother took me to put me in formal dance lessons. My mother had always wanted to study ballet, but where we were in New Jersey, that wasn't available to African-American children. So my mom never did have the opportunity to study ballet, but she thought, aha, if I have a daughter... This is what we are we are going to do. So she was able to find a ballet teacher, it was a Russian woman, Madame Slavinska, I'll never forget her, who was my very first dance teacher. And she agreed to teach me privately because she was afraid that if she introduced this colored child into the classes with the other students, the other parents would take their children out. So for one entire year, I lived in this incredible world where I thought the world of ballet had been designed just for me. And I was the only one in it. It was this fabulous world for Madame Slavinska and I. After all, I was just three years old. And we would just just we would dance and she would show me the costumes and the ballet slippers and the point shoes. She also had an assistant, a young African-American woman whom she brought in. And, and that was impressive to me to, to see her and, and be in this space. I remember, you know, kind of looking up at her and, you know, she would have on her point shoes and I was fascinated with that. And my father, who was really the more the romantic figure in our household, he had a wonderful baritone voice and he would sing. And I remember he introduced me to social dance. And I remember standing on his feet and literally, you know, being able to feel the moves in my body as he moved with me to the rhythms of the music. And it was particularly, it was a lot of jazz music that was played in my household growing up as a child. And lo and behold, at the end of that first year came time for the dance recital. And this is when Madame Slavinska was going to introduce me to the, the rest of the school. So, and it was, oh, the music was the Nutcracker and it was the magic flute. And I had learned this little solo, except for one thing, nobody remembered to tell me that I was not the only person. Now, I'm an only child, mind you, so it's really easy for me to get into I'm the only one, right? <laughs> and so when the curtain went up and I saw all my relatives in the front row and I saw all these people and they're like, go ahead, Carol. And I had I knew this dance like I knew my name. The, that music played on because I wouldn't go out on the stage. I looked at my mother and I was like, well, why are all these people here? Other, And then I became the inquisitive child. Do they know how to dance? Do, do they know what ballet is? And I'm backstage doing all of this. That music played on that day without me. <laughs> and oh. I never did go on the stage. I never did. And, but however, the following year, my mother had to spend a year explaining all this to me. She did find a dance teacher who would, she said, look, 
And it was a New York City Rockette, a retired Rockette. And she said, well, as long as your checks don't bounce, you know, she could be in class with anybody else. You know, I treat everybody the same. And so she brought me in with the other children. She also brought in another um, young African-American child. And when the recital time came around that year, both of us were on stage with everybody else. And so, but so my debut was a little, little bit sideways there because mm-hmm. my parents had some explaining to do about mm-hmm. all, yeah. the, all that were, you know, in what was my world of dance, but that was my early introduction for sure. Yeah. These complications that come with race that really are so beside point. Um, can do to the problem. You know, these phrases then just from the 
this exposure to the world of, of music, of food. And, and sure enough, here it is, it's played out. Food is medicine, movement as medicine, you know, in, in my life. And so, and then I was there at the debut of Arthur Mitchell for New York City Ballet. My mother understood how these things would be important. My father understood how these things would be important. And to see him come out and dance afternoon of a fawn, to see him do the duet of Bugaku with Suzanne Farrell. Yes. You know, it's like that that vision, that energetic imprint yes. will go to heaven with me. You know, it's yes. just it was so I was so amazed. And Arthur Mitchell and my father have the same beautiful complexion. So for me to see a man that looked like my father moving with the power and grace, I was there at City Center at the premiere of the Alvin Ailey American Dance Center. Who knew? That's where my professional career as a dancer would take off. But to see the beauty of that first revelations, which again, who knew? Still, how many 50 Mm. years later, still being danced, still bringing audiences to its feet because of the universality that has been shown through dance. So let me go and step into your world and your experiences that bring you here. And you are now bringing us two concepts, joy in motion and embodyology. I don't know which one you want to talk about first, but let's go either, either one. Sure. I think I'll start at the beginning, which is embodyology. Embodyology is a practice. It's a theory a paradigm, it's a worldview of integrating the body and the mind through movement. And I discovered very specific principles through studying performance in West Africa, in Ghana, and more specifically with a community of people in a village called Kopea. And they're Eve-speaking peoples. Well, spread throughout different parts of West Africa. They're also in Benin. They're in Togo and also in parts of Ghana. And they're a culture that's rich in music, dance, and what we might think of as traditional practices. And I've always been fascinated with improvisation. So as was mentioned in my biography, there has been a a part of my career that's been really intertwined with jazz music and jazz musicians. And through working with jazz musicians, I really came to see that improvisation was critical to the expression of the music. Like jazz dance for me made no sense at a certain point once I discovered, well, there are these two forms. Once upon a time, they were married and then they got somehow disconnected. What does it mean to bring them back together? It means improvisation. So for many years, 20-something years, I've been really focused on my creative world, bringing these two forms together. And then intellectually, I've been very fascinated as to what makes improvisation arise? Why is it so insistent within African cultures all around the world? So my inquiry then took me beyond the music itself. 
because I was only getting certain measures of answers looking here in the diaspora. So going back to the continent, looking at music and dance forms, I began to see certain principles that were showing up. Um, and these principles are dynamic rhythm, which may seem obvious, but in the context of Eve music and dance, language is intimately tied to rhythm. Rhythm is born, Eve music is born of spoken language. So the rhythm, the intonation, the tonality of speech, that is what is played by the drum. So quite enlightening understanding. So right from the get-go, the movement, rhythm, it's about communication. It's not simply about passage of time. There's an intimate back and forth between people. And then there's what I call fractal codes, which are ways in which we repeat and iterate and find newness within certain boundaries. And then there's inner sensing and balance, which is to do with our interior world, our sense of movement, our imagination, our intuition. There's play and decision-making, which is an intentional way of engaging. It can also be very playful too, in the sense of, we don't always make decisions that we know the outcome of. We may choose to disrupt. And that can then cause all kinds of potentials. Or we can choose to not participate. That's also a decision. And therefore also cause other things to take shape. And then there's collaborative competition. And we might think of that as a bit of an oxymoron, right? Competition, collaboration. But it's the idea that competition is collaborative to inspire us to reach a higher level of our creativity. So it's not about somebody winning and somebody losing, but it's more so about an exchange. And then there's audience proxemics. So the idea that the audience matters. So the proximity of the audience to the performers is almost like a porous boundary. So the audience could be the expert that actually comes into the space and contributes. The audience is also well healed. They understand, one assumes, one would make the assumption that the audience has knowledge, not that they're just a blank canvas waiting for me to give, but actually they're judicious, they're watching with discernment. And that discernment could actually move them to actually also perform. So there's that. Uh, porosity. So they're the six uh, concepts, um, the six principles that actually found everything that I do in relation to embodyology. So I teach these principles through specific exercises and tasks, it's very integrated with music. And it's been astounding to see how many different types of people I started off working most directly with performers. But through the pandemic, through these, these trials and tribulations that we've had, I've used this as a space to build community and people have continued to come back. And the word has gotten out there that there is healing in this space. There is upliftment, there's optimization, there's all kinds of opportunities for us to grow through this intelligence that we have 
when we really listen to our bodies and we give it uh, attention and direction and not assume that it's just our body, but there's a whole myriad of possibility here. Uh, it is, and it is so fantastic. I mean, the the minute I, I, I heard just a one or two sentence description of it, I said, "Oh, I got it." You know, this is so exciting to me. We see a lot of things out here, you know, in the the healing space, in the well being space. One of my tenets of the way I practice medicine with individuals as well as with with groups is using principles of movement as medicine. And of course, you know, trained in ballet, in jazz, um, improvisation also is, you know, my preferred. I think that's another reason why we link Mm. so much. I love improvisation so much. And, you know, to, to have this embodyology, and I, and I say it is African centered and a wisdom that comes from it, these ancient wisdom traditions that are so rich. It's another voice. And it is the voice that I would like to see centered in the well-being uh, community for, for many reasons, not the, not the least of which Africa is the mother of us all. It is where we find the mitochondria from which all of humanity descends and it is just so exciting that you're, you know, working on this and putting this all together. We have a couple of comments that I'd love to share. One is arts are the bridges between all communities. And yes, this is the bridge, not between all communities, between all of life, for me, between planets. The And, and I'm saying planets, I, I think there are other life forms out there that... We uh, little egocentric humans have as yet to discover or as yet to um, they have chosen not to reveal themselves to us in their fullness as yet. And then another uh, comment disruption through non-participation. Wow. What a concept. Yes. Yes. The power of choosing not to participate. Absolutely. Absolutely. And through this pandemic, you talked about the community mm-hmm. that has has arisen. And I, I would love it if you would talk a little bit about gym or joy in motion. Yes. So when the pandemic hit, I immediately sought, as we all did, uh, to create communities, connections with people. And I really didn't know how I was going to translate this in-person studio practice to a virtual space. I really did not have the answers, but I just knew showing up was really important. And in that showing up, the first thing I felt was really necessary to ground us was meditation. So although I didn't mention that in the beginning, when we think about dynamic rhythm, we also think about space and silence and the power of just connecting to ourselves in this very grounding way, connecting to our breath, which is the cornerstone of rhythm. So this space evolved and has become a practice that has 
opened itself up to many different people, administrators, visual artists, medical doctors, body workers, um, all sorts of folk coming from different places and even different countries. And we come together on a Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, and the class lasts for one hour. It's very interactive, although we're not in the same physical space. And I think we could even share a little of the, the, the video, um, which, which will give people a sense of what the space is like and indeed give you an opportunity to hear what people actually say about the experience. I would love to do just that. So I'm introducing a little video clip where you'll see these beautiful bodies moving in space, embodied in many different ways. And let's see, and also hear their comments. So here we go. And this was pre-gym. This is when it was called virtual embodiology getting out of your head and being able to use your own space. I'm writing now and now I feel awakened to continue writing and just continue being creative and letting my thoughts flow in a productive manner. And even when I'm not on this call, I can exercise what we just did. It was nice to be in a free space again. I forgot the, 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 you know, the, the nice vibes that you get from just being able to move. At your own pace, in your own way, however, it was, it was quite liberating. As it went on, I realized that what I was trying to do was undo anxiety. There was just a lot of anxiety, and I'm in touch with it, and you know, soothing and opening and grounding. So sometimes we will have live music, so a musician will also come to be in the space with us. And uh, that's also such a beautiful additional layer of interactivity when people also see, ah, oh, my movement is, is causing, is, is inspiring the sound, or this sound is then impacting how I move and how I sense, how I feel, how I think. So that dynamism is a really important part of the deep listening that we do in the space. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. How important do you feel or how essential do you feel people learning to listen to their bodies is in terms of the evolution of humanity, given what's going on now. People had this idea that the pandemic would come and go. It would be over. People a year ago were thinking, oh, vaccination. And as we entered 2022, it would be something in the past. Yet it is still very much present and very mm. much with us. So what is this saying about our future in terms of the potential of your work? Wow, that's a huge question, and I and I definitely in the in the sea of it, the play of it, um, understanding as I am how disconnected many people are. Admittedly, they will tell you 
how disconnected they are from their bodies. And since this is not something I've ever been privy to, as long as I can remember, I've been deeply connected to my body. I mean, dancers can also be disembodied. I will touch on that later. But I've always always been someone who's had an inquiring mind, and that mind is my body. Um, and so I think as we move deeper into this next phase of this pandemic, being able to think with our with our entirety, um, with our entire body schema enlivened is giving us an opportunity to see more choices. Right now, everyone thinks that and feels that the pandemic is lessening their choices. And in obvious ways, it is doing that. But there's also an interior landscape within us that can help us to see that constraints are material, but our, our liberty within our, our own bodies, our capacity to live is as alive as it ever was. Our material concerns are outside of us, but what is the aliveness that is with us? And what is what balance do we need to bring to our self-awareness to be in mental balance, to have calmness of mind, to have to not be triggered by your own home environment that you've set up as a place to live? How many people have sort of said that they've they're going stir crazy because they're inside their home, the home that they've designed. Of course, in some cases, there are people who are living in very extreme confines, and I'm not talking, but I'm talking about many people who would not see themselves as having um, constraints in terms of their environment. Suddenly, it, it's become something else. And that starts, I think, within how you feel within your own body and within your own body and mind. And so our imagination is the gateway to everything. And if we practice being connected with our imagination, the confines of environment have less impact. Have to think about, look what Nelson Mandela was able to do after 26 years. If that wasn't the use of imagination, I don't know what was, right? So we have, we have more capacity within us than we do externally. And I think that's a huge part of, I think, what of realizing our, our capacity as human beings, starting yeah. from the interior. Well, you know, it's so amazing. Right now we have some just incredible spiritual beings who shared time with us having a human experience, who have made their transition. So you mentioned Nelson Mandela. He, What he did with that 27 years of solitary confinement and when he came out, changed the world, changed the world. It was so amazing. Um, Bell Hooks, the powerful avatar with words, who has made her transition um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who made his transition. And these are just some, you know, big names that the that the world knows. Oh my goodness, the comedian 
Betty White, uh, you know, an age mate of my mom who would have been 100 on January 17th. Um, making her transition and the the energetic imprint. And these are people who brought great imagination, great imagination. And, you know, I, I think of, and you know, in the small way, you know, my, my own example. And again, you know, that concept of the body as mind and the importance of being able to go inside and, and listen, be in that still space to hear these messages because oftentimes when the body speaks to us, it doesn't speak to us necessarily in the language, our mother tongue. It comes in other in other other ways of knowing, other ways of informing us. And sometimes we have to uh, get still to receive this. But it's interesting because just before the 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 pandemic my my husband and i imagined what we would like our home to be so i'm living in a, a family home and we imagined this addition to our, our 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 house for the one day for the future and we imagined that we each wanted to have a space he wanted to have an office and a sound studio i wanted to have an office and a dance studio and lo and behold, we created this space. We brought it into the into being, but in our imagination, it was for some future date. Well, lo and behold, the pandemic happened, and we have spent more time in this space, you know, from now. It's the future became our immediate now. And I think so when you you talk about this, and even when we look at people moving in their space and that little clip that we saw, you know, I asked the question for people to begin to imagine what it is that they need in their here and now, because the, the future arrived very suddenly and very unexpectedly for many of us. And so every day I'm so grateful because, wow, you know, this someday future space that I was going to be spending time in, I've been in every day for the past two years and looks like that will, you know, continue to be uh, the construct. We have a comment here, life is an inside job. Yes, it is an inside Mm -hmm. job and it does with this um, Mind and body are far more interconnected than we are taught. That is so very true. Thank you both for the work and the leadership. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So, you know, here we are, here we are and, 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 and helping people to see that possibility for themselves to create that space. Yes. For themselves, even with, without having to put an addition on your home. However, when you think about if you do have such opportunities and you think about, well, what is it that I'm needing in my life? Mm-hmm. And yeah. really still with that. Yes. And, yeah. and that answer. And, and what does that look like? What yeah. does that look like? And how will and, that manifest? Yeah. yeah. And also what, what's already also here, right? So, for example, we have an exercise in Joy in Motion where I focus 
on being cognitively connected to the space that you're in. So everyone being in these small office-like spaces, taking no account, right? So we constantly filter out what's the mundane, if you will. But suddenly paying attention to what was on their walls, what was on their floors, the color of their ceilings, the choices that they made, the reason that picture is on the wall of your great aunt or your mother, suddenly the emotional connections to the space changed. And seeing that and hearing, because that's the other part in the class is that the participants also, we do popcorn feedback. So you immediately respond with what the experience was of the particular exercise. And so for example, people would share their reorientation to the spaces that they are in that they've perceived as, as very just functional or they've just been relegated to it's just the space I'm in but suddenly it's been enlivened and their whole demeanor their whole relationship has has shifted and those kinds of moments were enlarging suddenly people felt less confined more connected and more in gratitude actually So I have a question. How do you teach people to make a choice to grow beyond the boxes that they fit in or that they've been taught to check off? How do we teach people how to grow beyond that? It's really a sense for me. It's really a sensory journey. So we start with our breath. Most of the time people are breathing from up here. So that's the sort of fight or flight. And I'm sure you've got the proper medical terms for this, where, where they're really just about, okay, I'm just in a defensive mode. I'm ready to do whatever I need to do. They never settle. This is why I'm saying people don't have that connection because they're cut off. It's just like, okay, what action do I need to take to keep going? And to some extent, I can really appreciate that. But that's a constant state. And so we need to get beyond that constant state of anxiety or semi-anxiety to dwell inside the fullness and through connecting to your body as your living instrument that can shape literally direction in space, can form uh, new ways of making more movement possible, right? Being able to fill your body with, with a connection between your, your top of your head and your tailbone, to feel the expansion of your shoulder blades, to feel that grounding in your feet, is to be more present. And with these levels of um, sinew granular, granular connection to the self through firstly through the breath that's the that's the entry point and then connecting that then with rhythm and a sense of play we can shift the mood quite dramatically in ways that can really shift whatever the the concern is and open a way to new possibility and these these disruptions that actually are engagements, like through engaging the body, 
we can break out of the confines of the ways in which we've thought about even doing a simple thing like bending our knees and stretching our arms, but living inside of it and then doing it playfully in the context of rhythm and then discovering then how you can then design with it. How can I be creative with these really simple ideas? And then how can I make that more complex and more uniquely me? That's the play. That's, and that's when people realize, wow, I can be a poet with this body too. And that's what's been extremely gratifying to see, the poetry that lives within everyone, if they're given the granular way in. And it takes some time to do that, but the, the outcomes are remarkable. Yes, the outcome is really, really uh, amazing. And I just want to make sure um, our, our guests have been so, so very generous and you have been today and I always tell people take advantage so there is embodyology.com you could go there and find out all things embodyology can check out that so be sure listener to go and you know look up this website soak it up there are wonderful things there you can also go to joy in motion whatever your preference but I think everything is over on embodyology.com. So very, very important. And this is something that this whole idea of embodiment, embodied social justice, embodied spirituality, embodied uh, neurobiology, something that I'm, I'm talking about. You mentioned, you know, the, you know, the, the medicalese, the science, and, and that's what I so love. I love the science behind this because you are actually tapping into your autonomic nervous system and you are imprinting or activating the vagus nerve with this, the vagus nerve with this. And that is so extraordinary and so very exciting. So you've got the two aspects of your autonomic nervous system, which you mentioned, the fight or flight. That's the sympathetic tone. And then you have that part that's this, that lets you relax, that lets you love, that lets you feel your joy. That's the parasympathetic tone. And it's all, the information is all conveyed by our 10th cranial nerve, which exits the brain at the base of the brain and goes out through all and innervates our major organ systems. So very, 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 very powerful. It's, and so, in fact, it turns out that the human being is hardwired for these experiences. And somehow we've gotten disconnected from that. So I think part of my mission in life, and I think part of, of, of the power of you and I joining together, you know, it's like, can't have an army of one, but you can definitely have an army of two and all the other people that are like-minded to, to bring this, to bring this forward. It is another way of knowing, another way of living, another way of of being in the world. We have a comment here. That was remarkable. The realization of being a poet with the body. Yes, it is with this body 
that we write our poetry every day, every movement, every breath, because of course, this part of the central nervous system is activated by the breath. And this is why it all begins with the breath and the power of knowing that and then being able to do it on purpose as in a practice. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I love hearing you give the medical ease. I'm like, wow, it's doing all of this. Wow. I'm I'm such a kid in the candy store when I'm listening to you. It's, it's, it, and it just, as you say, you know, bringing our worlds together, it's so exciting. Um, I, I'm, I'm so delighted that we have, we have met and we were meant to meet and that we're on this journey together. Because I think this, this African-centered knowledge has got so much to bring to the world, uh, spiritually speaking, in terms of spirituality, in terms of healing. And, you know, for the most, for the most, uh, um, the, the, the space, we, we, we have recognized indigenous practices from the East, from India, from China. Well, Africa's got a whole world to bring. And this is one iteration of that. And so I think we, um, we're charged with bringing that into the world. And this, this term, Cecil Lama, knowing the world through the body. And uh, and understanding the inspiration and the global, which means breath, it means inspiration. These terms hopefully will bring those into parlance, and people will really understand. Yes, there is another way to bring myself into balance, and that yes. this is also a, a modality that can help and move and change. Well, I hope that you will come back. We have to do a whole show centered around Sesalama, right? You know, this way of knowing and being and introducing this rich vocabulary to this audience. And, and that's also something I feel very compelled to do, um, to introduce the vibration of, of this language from our mother, the continent of Africa, composed of 54 countries and all the many cultures that that represents. And this is just some, some of the, just a little bit of the vocabulary that we can bring forward just as we hear words like namaste, um, Reiki, prana, these words that have been brought forward from other cultures. There is a rich energetic imprint that's coming from the mother that I can't wait to introduce in 2022. So we are about to wrap. And in, in his enthusiasm, we saw my partner popped on screen for a moment there. So I would be remiss if I didn't say thank you to Mr. DM Jones for all that he has contributed to Weightless and Mind, Body, and Spirit, and also to say welcome, Happy New Year, Ashe, and welcome mm-hmm. to our producer, Miss Kenya Pope, who is stepping in and will carry us forward in season seven and eight. And this is a wrap. This is a wrap. I won't let you go, though, until you promise you're going to come back again. We'll see you again, right? Oh, be my delight. <laughs> so, thank you, thank you, Dr. Ama. It is just my deepest delight to bring forward as the first show in a new season 
new movement for a new day and introduce this audience to the worlds of embodiology and joy in motion to thank you from the bottom of my heart and on behalf of the global community to say thank you to you publicly for your spirit, your intellect, your charm, your beauty, and your love for humanity and your purpose to help us all evolve to a higher ground. Thank you so much. And everybody, I'm going to ask Kenny Brazil Hamilton to play us out. We'll see you right back here on January 16th. And we will be exploring the world of holistic and naturopathic medicine when we come back on January 16th. So here we go. Till next time.